I'm going to be a little bit sheepish on the programme this week, discussing the importance of wool to building insulation. I mean, the more we bash plastics, the better it is for wool, really. Plus, the rare breeds, sadly, getting ever rarer. The numbers have dwindled down to 73 breeding females. If we do nothing in 2027 as we stand here, there may be no more. What do you have to say about it all? (coughs) Everyone's a critic. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. The county show season is well underway. Rutland and Cambridgeshire taking place today. Suffolk in the week. And now we're in June. The Lincolnshire show is just two and a bit weeks away. One attraction you might find at many of the events is the Sheep Show, with Nobby the Norfolk Horn among the attractions, alongside shearing, and even a spot of sheep dancing on the stage. There is, though, a much more serious side to what the Sheep Show team are trying to achieve, as Richard Savory can explain. Everyone actually likes to see shearing. It's, it's um, you know, it's a very skilled operation, and it, it, it looks easy. Uh, and um, but believe me, it's not. Mm. But but it is, you know, to see, especially when you throw out the fleece uh, after you've finished the sheep, and the, you know, you hear from the crowd, it's fantastic. Um, and so yeah, you, you're explaining what you do, and, and it is important that we we try to educate, and, and uh, because there are members of society who are uh, making you know sit behind their computer screens and think they know everything about but you know we're, we're trying to tell a story here and if we do it practically then uh, hopefully people can see and ask ask questions to us of, you know what what actually happens here and as you say it's an important uh, message to get across really isn't it i mean the fact that what you'd be paid one pound fifty to shear the sheep but the yeah. farmer would get £1.20 perhaps yeah yeah and in a lot of cases it's gone up a little bit yeah. um, but even so it's very you know very small amount and in fact I was in um, Surrey uh, on Bank Holiday Monday doing the Surrey County Show and uh, I say you know how much for this fleece and uh, a lady uh, said £100 you know she had no concept that it would be just £2 um, and I think today we you know we do also we don't hide behind the fact that you know meat uh, is the main sort of uh, source of income for far- for sheep farmers and um, uh, uh, people expect their food to be on the supermarket shelves 24/7 um, and it's a long process to get it there you know for sheep it's five months for a lamb and then you've got another three or four months before they're ready to eat you know beef it's even three years people forget about that and we, we sort of had this cheap food sort of principle and it's in people's psyche but you know I heard a horrific fact the other day that only 8% of our income goes is spent on food you know 25 years ago it was probably 30% uh, it can't carry on I know the government wants us to have cheap food but as farmers if you want real industrialised farming that's what you're going to get with cheap food but if you want the environment to look like it is with the small farms and, and I've seen it in my 30 years here you know, uh, from New Zealand that the change in agriculture and that, that sort of um, you know and I don't think that yeah, cheap food is the answer and you mentioned about you know certain vocal elements shearing the sheep it's not cruel is it they, they need to be sheared really. that's right I mean by law we have to shear a sheep and, and over hundreds of years we've really developed sheep uh, to grow more wool uh, during the years when wool was worth more than oil was uh, you know sheep were there to produce more and more wool I guess it's turned turned round and we are sort of developing sheep that have got less wool but we still have that 
we've still got to shear a sheep and unfortunately there's no machine to do it and yeah okay uh, there's you know that the some of the evidence that that some of these uh, groups are finding there's always some bad eggs definitely and whatever you do there's bad you know so um, even in, <laughs> I was just talking to a chap who runs a farm shop uh, and you know they've had slogans um, spray paint across their thing well you know everyone's uh, there to give their opinion, but you don't need to be a, a bad egg to do it. And yeah, same with shearing. Yeah, right, there's some bad bad shearers, um, but you know we. That's one of my jobs is to show that actually you know we're trying to get it off as as best as we can. Um, yeah. And uh, one other interesting aspect, without getting into the politics yeah. of it all, uh, it, you know, wool is not flammable either, is it? And, and if that was going into buildings, you know, we've had a, you know, talk about Grenfell yeah, recently, yeah, just yeah, what, yeah. almost a year ago. Yeah. If wool was being used yeah. as insulation, yeah. the aircraft use it all the time, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I say that on my on my show that, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's it is very very safe, and um, we've we we are using it more. To be fair, we are using it more in insulation. It's a fantastic insulator. You know, it insulates against heat as well as cold. So people think, oh, it's really hot, the sheep are going to be hot. But actually, they're probably better off in wool because it's insulating, that, maintaining the same temperature. They're not going from the extremes. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, everything's got to be recyclable now. I mean, the more we bash plastics, the better it is for wool, really, because actually, you know, it's a, it's a biodegradable, which is which is great. You know, you can put it back in the soil. Uh, it soaks up a lot of uh, moisture. You know, it was and oil. It was used in the Gulf Gulf War to soak up oil. Um, and then if we, yeah, if we could suddenly have a bit of a turnaround and say, look, okay, buildings should have wool on them. You know, you've got a safe product. You can now mix it in with resins. And I mean, I, the other day I was at a wool stand and they had a chair made out of wool and mixing it with a resin it's, it's a very strong fibre as well um, it's very you know it is very versatile we've just got to find a look outside the box a little bit and look for new uses for it yeah the importance and versatility of wool Richard Savory of The Sheep Show coming to an agricultural show near you this summer there's more sheep soon and other rare breeds as well that's a little later in the programme first though our weekly catch up with all things open field Here's Kit Dickinson with this week's report. Morning, Sean. How are you? I'm all right. What about you? Things okay? Yes, very good, thank you. Uh, the, the main market movers this week have really been weather and politics. Russia's spring drilling is estimated to be at 62% complete at 8 million hectares, leaving almost 5 million hectares still to plant, which, on the back of recent weather, could prove to be a challenge. Cold weather in the Urals and Siberia is slowing crop progress. Hot weather in Australia and Canada is cause for concern, but the recent rain this week will have helped out. The US drilling has got off to a good start, and the first set of USDA figures for the 18-19 corn crop condition ratings came out at 79% good to excellent, versus last year's 65%, setting an early negative tone to the market. In Europe, current French wheat conditions are said to be excellent, 79% good to excellent on Friday, when the French farm office broadcasted the figures. Showers are also forecast for northern Germany, bringing some relief to the hot and dry conditions across the region. In the UK, there is still uncertainty on yield on spring crops. However, winter wheat is looking very promising after the recent rain and hot weather. Oilseed rape has risen very slightly this week, but crushes have cover moving forward into new crop. The main influencing factor will be trade talks between the US and China, and if they come to an agreeable outcome in terms of tariffs. 
Oilseed rope locally has seen a short sporadic flowering period this year, with some crops only flowering for 10 days to two weeks. Barley. Both old and new crop prices remain buoyant for the time of year. New crop feed barley is currently trading at £14-16 discounted wheat. Consumers are well covered on old crop and being patient before buying any last-minute top-ups, giving a lack of liquidity to the market. There is also little interest for new crop at current values. After two or three weeks of good weather, current prices look very expensive. Beans, old crop are mostly covered and new remains very slow, circa £25 above feed wheat. There is uncertainty as to the quality and quantity, hence forward sales are trading at very low volumes. Prices this week, feed wheat for June 160 to 164, September 152 to 155, November 155 to 158, and May 19, 162 to 166, X Farm. New crop group one premiums are 14 to 16 pounds, very much dependent on area. All seed rape, June 290 to 293, September 292 to 294, November 298 to 300, but there are no prices going further forward. Barley for June is 142 to 146, September 136 to 138, November 138 to 140, and May 19, 144 to 146. Malting barley premiums on old crop are 12 to 15 and new crop 20 to 24 pounds. Beans for June 162 to 165, September 165 to 170, November 172 to 175 and there are no prices further forward. There are currently no premiums for human consumption beans. Thank you Kit. Kit Dickinson from Open Field. The latest watch list has been published by the Rare Breeds Survival Trust, looking at breeds at risk of vanishing, sadly, forever. Said to still be vulnerable are sheep such as the Lincoln Longwool, the Leicester Longwool, also the Lincoln Red Cattle. While said to be critical, with fewer than 300 now left, is the Suffolk Punch Horse, with the Dartmoor and Exmoor Pony also said to be endangered. Gail Spake is chairman of the Trust. I caught up with her at the Suffolk show earlier in the week. Rare Breed Survival Trust, we've been set up since 1973 to actually monitor, save and promote all the breeds of UK farm livestock. That's poultry, ducks, chickens, geese um, and turkeys and obviously then the equines and cattle and sheep and pigs and goats. And if you add them all together, that's well over 100. Delighted to say since we were formed in 73, we haven't lost a single breed, but that masks underlying issues. And here at the Suffolk Show, for example, Suffolk Show is championing the Suffolk horse. Um, We are also doing likewise with our heavy horse appeal because there were over 1,300 breeding mares in 1947 in the, the height of sort of the use of Suffolk horses in Suffolk farms. Um, last year, the numbers had dwindled down to 73 breeding females. If we do nothing in 2027 as we stand here, there may be no more. So it's really very critical that we act promptly and make a difference. So, so what, what can be done to make that difference? 
Right, we're raising awareness. We're working in conjunction with the Suffolk Horse Society. We are encouraging people to support the appeal by making donations. All that money then actually is spent on preserving and conserving and researching genetics so that what we will be doing is actually collecting semen and we hope um, eggs, fertilised eggs to store as a last resort but it's also about helping the breeders to help themselves to encourage more people to breed in the appropriate places, the right animals, the right bloodlines to increase not just the, the archive semen but to increase the animals on the ground. We're surrounded here by sheep. I know the Rare, rare Breeds Trust have uh, worked very hard and very successfully with some rare breeds of, particularly sheep, I think, of the Lincoln Longwell and that kind of thing. They've worked really hard there, haven't they? Yep. I mean, it's it's not all doom and gloom. Mm. We have a lot of breeds that are now reclassified as native, our success stories. I'm standing in my pen with Southdown sheep. They came off the watch list in 2007. There are many thousand of them. Next door, we have the Shropshire sheep, another um, breed that's actually a success story. Story. But then similarly, right the way at the top of the list, we have the Borarays, probably about 300 breeding females, one of our smallest primitive breeds. And, and all of those need monitoring, saving, promoting, and just encouraging people to actually not just breed them and keep them, but believe it or not, to encourage the wider public to ask for those cuts of meat, whether it's beef or lamb or pork, at the butchers, because if the housewife demands a joint of Southdown lamb or a joint of traditional Hereford beef or Gloucester Old Spot pork, if the butchers have to get more of it, then the whole circle um, continues. You make it sound so easy. I'm sure it is now. With, with uncertainty in agriculture, around, how, how difficult a job is it to, to convince farmers to take up these kind of things? It is a challenge, um, and certainly in the light of the changes with the Common Agricultural Policy and with Brexit looming. Um, obviously, Mr Gove has just recently closed the, um, the consultation period. RBST put forward a very strong and vocal case for the need to actually recognise the qualities and the use of native breeds of livestock for grazing. So we hope that the government will we receive no government funding that would like that to change but at worst we would actually really encourage the politicians the government to look to think to give our farmers the people who are getting their hands dirty and getting up and feeding for 365 days a year you know at the rock face whether it's sunshine or beast from the east <laughs> to keep these animals and if there can be some accurate and true incentive for keeping native UK breeds in native UK farms that should I think work for the good of not just the breeds but for our, our heritage, for our livestock, for our countryside and it should be win-win but it is a challenge because farmers are reluctant to change. We've got to try and persuade them to try different things, but they've also got to be given the support because it's, it's pretty tough out there for us as farmers. Gail Spake of the Rare Breed Survival Trust. Now, she mentioned the Suffolk horse, critical on the watch list. Charlotte Smith is from the Suffolk Punch Trust. We've been around for... We've had the centre open now for eight years, and basically our passion is keeping the Suffolk Punch alive. It's uh, the only heavy horse indigenous to Suffolk, um, and we pride ourselves on our breeding. We've got three lovely... uh, One senior stallion and two lovely colts that are coming through the ranks at the minute. We've had our two beautiful foals this year, Edith and Eli. 
And as you say, an endangered breed, really, it's, it's vital, isn't it, that you know more is being done to try and save this breed? Yeah, luckily this year there's so far 19 foals that have hit the floor this year, which is very, very impressive. Um, but the the danger is that the predicted is, tw- is 10 years' time we'll have no suffix left. Mm. Um, so we're very desperate to keep this breed going. Um, and like I said, we've had two beautiful foals this year, which have contributed to the 19 that we've had. Um, and we're well underway, hopefully, for next year. Charlotte Smith there from the Suffolk Punch Trust battling to save that rare breed. Now, earlier with Gail Spake, I mentioned that she was showing her Southdown sheep at the Suffolk show. Well, so too was Alison Robinson from Briggs Flock, doing it as a hobby. My son um, bought me a small flock for my birthday <laughs> and we um, persuaded a friend of ours, Petra, hello Petra, if um, she'd like a slam in her orchard. So we do that every winter and then we rent some meadows for the summer and uh, it's just a hobby we just come to shows it's a nice day out hmm. and it's a nice it's a nice way to meet people and it's said it's just a hobby for us so and it all started because you saw some sheep this particular breed um the the south down and just said they look cute is that right yeah they look they look like little teddy bears when they, when well, they do in fact <laughs> that's our little one edith and uh that's the size i saw and i just thought she's she's sweet um, but they're manageable. You can, you know, you can get hold of them, and they haven't got the big horns, which I was a bit like, don't really want one like that. But these are <laughs> these are small enough for me to manage. I'm not a, a big person, um, and you can catch them. But we we tend to molly, molly coddle ours because um, they've all got names, and they're all just so part of the family, really. And, and as you say, you haven't actually got a farm, so you no. re- you rent uh, an orchard from a friend, yeah? Yeah, we, we lamb at our friend's orchard, uh-huh. um, and then we rent fields. So we live in Wyndham, and uh, it's it's a little town in Norfolk, mm-hmm. and we don't have farms. We're, we're not from an agricultural background, really, um, but it's something that if you've got the passion and you want to do it, you, you'll find a way to, to do it, and it's, it's a good hobby, um, something a bit different. How hard work is it though? It must be. It it's must be quite a time-consuming hobby. It, it's hard work. Um, getting ready for shows is, <laughs> is hard work. Um, but you learn as you go, and, and people are, you know, sort of give you tips and advice when you come to the shows, and you'll say, "Well, how do you do this? And, and what's that for?" And you know, you gradually build up your toolkit. You have shears and clippers and brushes, all special, especially for for sheep. And I didn't know any of that. And uh, as I said, it is it's a huge learning curve. So we've been doing it now three years. Um, we've been to the Suffolk twice. And we're going to the Norfolk show this year as well. Oh, okay. So that's the first one for us. Yeah. And you say you've got names for them all. How can you tell them apart? They're very, very individual. Okay. Um, they've got personalities, which I didn't realise. I thought sheep were sheep and they just bumble along behind each other. <laughs> but they have got very, very different personalities. Um, I mean, this one here is Betty, and that's her, her lamb, Edith. And that's Barbara and Elgin, and Delia and Dorcas at the end. They're shearlings, so they were born last January. And this is Belinda and her two twins, Eric and Ernie. So we, we started off when we got them with bees, um, and Briggs was named after um, our granddad who died the year we got them. So we called them Briggs after his, his surname. So we started with B's and we're now on E's. Mm. So we've got Delia and Dorcas from last year because that was D's and Betty, which was one of our first sheep. Um, so yeah, that's that's just us. It's just how we do it. Well, I can see there's definitely a passion there, and uh, they look great. And they are very cute, as you say, like little teddy bears, really. They so. are. They are. The, the lambs are very cute. I mean, they, once they've been sheared, 
natural and they're a bit clipped, but when they're a bit shaggy, that's how I like them best, but can't bring to shows like that. Alison Robinson there, looking after her South Downs purely as a hobby. On to agronomy then, and I know someone who supports the work of the Rare Breed Survival Trust, our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Well, yes, good morning, Sean. And, I mean, they do a wonderful amount of good. And when you think about it, the rare breeds that we're talking about, they fed us, they clothed us hundreds of years. The horses tilled the land, pulled the equipment before the mainstream adoption of tractors. So these animals, we owe them a massive debt, not just as an industry, but as a society. And I think it's vitally important that we preserve them and take them forward so that future generations know who they need to thank and the people who look after these rare breeds and promote them and maintain them are very very worthy of our praise and you should go to the Lincolnshire show seek them out talk to them see what they're doing see the breeds that they're preserving Um, and I've, I've said it so many times but if you go to a restaurant you see rare breed on the menu you should buy it and eat it and it does seem bizarre that we would consider eating something we're trying to preserve but it is that demand for the meat which means they're will be a demand for those breeds going forward Um, so anything i can do if i can help i most certainly will help so let's move on to agronomy then Um, it's been a funny old week because there are three things in our industry that we can't do anything about Um, one of them is wind one of them is rain and one of them is heat if we try and go spraying sugar beet in temperatures, high temperatures above 21, things like Femmedifam, simply will not work. The chemistry simply won't work. We can't spray in the wind. We can't go and spray sugar beet through a coarse air induction type droplet, a bubble jet, because the, the droplets are too big, they bounce off the weeds and the weed control suffers as a result. And we can't go when it's raining. Um, so this week, Monday, 25 degrees, too hot to spray sugar beet, blowing a gale, 28 miles per hour, just too windy to go spraying anything. Tuesday, temperature drops back to 12 degrees, but we've still got high winds, couldn't spray anything on Tuesday. The work's stacking up all the time. Um, Wednesday, the rain came, so we can't go spraying in the rain either. So we've nearly lost a whole week. We got to Thursday afternoon and we started thinking about going out and spraying. But it is very, very complicated. The rain was variable on Wednesday. I took two mil, you get to Sudbrook area, Nettleton area, and that was closer to 8 or 9 mil. You get to Branston Heath, Bracebridge Heath, it was anywhere from 12 to 18 millimetres of rain. You go slightly beyond that to Navenby, and it was down to 6 millimetres of rain again. So very, very variable. It'll have done an awful lot of good, but... It's that time of year when if the soil gets wet down to a couple of inch depth, if there is orange wheat blossom midge in the soil, they will pupate and emerge. Now you could see them on the wind on Wednesday afternoon and they shouldn't be confused with saddle gall midge, which are about three millimetres long, whereas orange wheat blossom midge is about a millimetre long. And saddle gall midge emerge a a couple of weeks, 10 days or so before orange wheat blossom midge. So there are midge about, but there's so little you can do. 2004 was the last year we had an issue with orange wheat blossom midge. We then had Dursban, Clopyrifos that we could have treated them with. We've lost all that now. So all we have is contact insecticide, which if you spray directly into a swarm, you may do some good, but the chances of getting any good from it are pretty slim, to be quite honest. So there is absolutely no point in putting an insecticide in as an insurance spray with your flag leaf or your T3 ear wash spray. And if you're being advised to do that, to put a residual insecticide in, just sack your agronomist and find somebody who knows what they're talking about because there is no such thing as a a residual insecticide to protect you against orange wheat blossomage. Resistant varieties help and if the ear is emerged by the time they get to egg laying, that's fine as well. That crop is safe from that. 
The problem comes when the ear is emerging if that coincides with egg laying and it takes about 14 days from emergence of adults to the point where the females lay their eggs. So if we get to cereals Wednesday and the ears are out on your crop, that crop is not at risk from orange wheat blossom ridge. And even if your crop is still at risk, there is virtually nothing you can do about it. So we just have to keep our fingers crossed that these crops grow as fast as they have been grown because they've gone from flag leaf rolled in the sheath to ear emergence in about eight days, all because of filicron or because of temperature so if it comes hot these crops will push into ear and the threat will be passed before those midge start to cause a problem similarly spring wheat spring barley peas beans sugar beet everything is growing like bilio so please keep your eyes open and make sure that the growth stages aren't being exceeded for herbicides growth regulators etc particularly in spring barley because that's going from growth stage 31 to orns emerged in about 10 days they're very very short though and i think straw is going to be at a premium this year and my heart goes out to the livestock farmers and i really do believe that livestock farmers should take priority over power stations when it comes to straw dispersal every single time. We should be ashamed that we're charging 100, 110 pounds a tonne for straw to livestock farmers. They need our support. They don't need that sort of uh, issue facing them. It's gonna be difficult enough and I think Wardy and Forage Aid could be quite busy come the uh, the winter again this year also potatoes um oh just before i say that sugar beet these bigger crops of sugar beet where the leaves are flapping about they're bruising you go put a caustic herbicide like ethafumosate on that you need to expect there to be a little bit of scorch just be very careful the tendency is to go out and get jobs done as soon as the weather drops but just just be careful on some of these crops potatoes we used to have smith periods where it's two consecutive 24-hour periods where within each 24-hour period um 11 hours or more had 90 percent relative humidity and 10 degrees or hotter that was a smith period the the hutton period is just the same but six hours within each of those uh, 24-hour period. So whether it be a Smith period, a Hutton period, a Beaufort period, doesn't matter. If it's thundery, keep your interval to seven days, keep the chemistry mixed, and for goodness sake, be on top of that blight, because once you let it in, there's a problem. And there are strains of blight which are now resistant things like fluazinam. Speak to your advisor and keep that chemistry mix. So it's as busy as it gets. The work is all stacking up. The weather is not helping us. It's either too hot, too cold, too wet, too dry, too windy. Everything's going against us at the minute. There is a light at the end of that tunnel, but it's too far away to see whether it's an exit or a train hurtling towards us. So let's see what the next seven days bring. Ah, yes, thank you. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, today, plenty of sunshine. Maybe some raining places, though. 23 the high today. The wind from the northwest, barely noticeable, around five miles an hour. Clear skies overnight tonight. That wind still from the north at five miles an hour. We're looking at lows of 11. Then a dry start to the new week. Cloudy, 15 the high. The wind from the north-northeast, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Staying cloudy overnight Monday into Tuesday. We're looking at lows of around 10 Celsius. The wind still from the north northeast, 10, maybe gusting at 20 miles an hour for a time. Then a sunny Tuesday, plenty of sunshine, 16, 17 the high. The wind continuing from the north northeast at about 15 miles an hour.
Clouding over for a time Tuesday into Wednesday. 10 the low, the wind from the northeast again 10 to 20 miles an hour. And then another sunny midweek. Wednesday, plenty of sunshine, 17 the high, the wind more from the east northeast, 15 to 20 miles an hour. And then at the moment, by the looks of things, the latter end of the week, more sunshine. We're looking at highs up to around 19 Celsius, overnight lows hovering around 10 degrees. And that's the forecast. It's Open Farm Sunday next Sunday. Hundreds of farms right across the country will be opening their gates, giving you a chance to see just what is happening in agriculture. If you're already in agriculture, a chance to nosy around the farm next door. Uh, We'll feature that in much more detail next week on the programme. That is next week. Until then, as ever, have a good week's farming.